Welcome to the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast from Nashville, Tennessee. I am your host, John Martin Keith. Celebrities, working class musicians, and people who work behind the scenes in all areas of the music industry will share their stories, encourage you, and give practical advice of ways you can make a living doing what you love in the music industry. This episode is brought to you by Edenbrook Productions. Edenbrook Productions is the company I founded to help musicians grow in their craft. Are you a songwriter, but maybe you've been told your songs aren't quite there yet? Or are your songs ready, but you don't feel stage ready? Or maybe music is your passion, but you feel imprisoned by your day job and you don't know what to do next to make your dream a reality. Well, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. We offer consulting services via phone call, Skype, and FaceTime. And for the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast listeners, we're offering an introductory one-hour consultation special. Click on the link in the show notes to contact me, and let's get you making a living in the music industry. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show today. This week, I'm talking with writer, producer, and composer Brian Steckler in California. Brian has made a successful career for himself producing albums, composing for sync and library production music with NBC, CBS, Netflix, and much, much more. Brian has won a Clio Award for helping create the audio and star in one of the most famous Super Bowl ads of all time, as a certain frog you may recognize who'd like to say, "Er, <laughs> Look it up on YouTube. You'll get it. We're here discussing working for a jingle company and creating world-famous ads, writing production library music used on countless shows, finding your niche to work in a field of music that only you can provide, and how you need to decide what success looks like for you. Please enjoy my conversation with Brian Steckler. Hey everyone, I am hanging out and talking with Mr. Brian Steckler in California. How are you today, Brian? I'm good, thank you very much. Man, it is good to talk to you. Thank you so much for doing doing the show with me. I'm really excited to have a conversation with you about your career in the music business. Yeah, my pleasure. So you and I um, are just getting to know each other because we have a mutual friend, Rhea Stevens, um, who is an amazing artist and uh, songwriter. And um, she writes a lot of sync. She's a pop artist, but she also writes a lot of music in the sync world. And that's how I know her. And she was recently on the podcast. And when we got finished, she referred me to you and said, you need to have Brian on the show. He's my, one of my producers and we write together and he's done all this incredible stuff. So I looked you up and I was like, yes, I know who that is. <laughs> and I uh, was super excited to, uh, to be able to reach out and, and talk with you. So thanks for doing this today. I yeah, of, co- of course. It's been fun getting to know Rhea and working with her. She's a, she's a great songwriter. So it's always, it's always yeah. fun to work with somebody like that. And you guys have been working together for about a year now. Is that right? Yeah. Something like that. Um, okay. yeah. At the time of this recording anyway. Yep. We, yeah. um, I don't even remember how we connected. I think an, it was actually a non-music industry Facebook friend that we both okay. have from the, the local area. So I'm in Northern California, um, not far from Sacramento. And she actually, I think, grew up here and has recently moved back up. And so she was kind of looking for people in the area and we connected and hit it off pretty quick and started working together pretty fast. So I think that yeah. sometimes that's a, a better way to connect with someone when it's outside of the industry. Right. Sure. It's oh, yeah. on a kind of a friendship yeah. basis and some other thing. And then if you find out, oh, by the way, we both do this together. We should right. do something. And I feel like that sometimes that is a, a smoother transition. Yeah, right? for sure. Because there's a little bit less of that. Uh, 
who's who's gaming who here to get a step ahead right <laughs> yeah, yeah and the truth is we're probably gaming each other in, probably in hopes yeah. to help each other yeah. <laughs> so and that's okay there's nothing there's no, nothing wrong right. with that and we've talked about that many many times on the show that i mean that's part of you know that's what this business is it's relationships and networking yeah those are the two biggest things that that happen in this industry and it really in any industry to be honest with you i think that's really kind of the it comes down to those things but um, you know, it's a huge networking business that we do and building those relationships with people. But I think the the important thing to remember is that as long as it's genuine on both sides and, you know, you can build friendships and relationships out of it. And those things are going to, are going to grow out of those situations, um, hopefully. And then everyone can be excited and have success and, you know, and, and have longevity and, and, both of those worlds in the, in the business music business world and in the friendship world because of those connections sometimes. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So, um, and hopefully that will happen here. You know, I'm excited to talk with you and hopefully friendships will, will bloom from it and you know, we'll see what happens, but, um, but anyway, so let's, let's go back to the beginning. Tell us who Brian Steckler is and what, what got you into music and, uh, into this business that we do. At the risk of going too far back. <laughs> um, so I was born in, in uh, Midland, Michigan, which is a um, uh, a town in Michigan that was put there by Dow Chemical Company, basically. And so my dad was a chemical engineer and, uh, you know, worked his whole career for Dow Chemical and had a big fat pension, which none of us know what that looks like anymore. But um, right. so he, uh, you know... Th- so Midland, Michigan, a very um, uh, white collar town because everybody was there because of Dow Chemical. So all my friends' parents all worked for Dow, and um, you know that was kind of the 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 thing at high, in our high school. You know, we, it was very um, we all had very similar backgrounds, um, and uh, anyway, that was already off track. <laughs> yeah, you're good. So. Um, that to say, I didn't come from a musical family. I wasn't in the uh, music industry as a kid. I didn't grow up in LA, uh, all that kind of stuff. So I started taking piano lessons as a six-year-old, I believe. I think actually my very first lessons were Suzuki Method in the basement of the of the uh, community center or something like that. And then got a private teacher. And um, I didn't like practicing. I always hated practicing. Um So my mom would bribe me with Hot Wheels cars. So if I practiced (laughs) my whatever 15 minutes every day for the entire week, I got a new Hot Wheels car. Nice. Um, And that worked. She she probably didn't have to keep doing that by the time I was 12 or 13, but. (laughs) Milk it while you can, right? Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Um, So I I enjoyed it. Um, And by the time I was, yeah, 13 or 14, I was pretty much into it. Um, partly because I enjoyed the uh, uh, recognition and uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram. Yeah. So I'm a three. (laughs) So I really like the uh, crowd recognizing me or performing or that kind of thing. But I still never liked to practice. Practicing for me was always about that performance and being good enough that the crowd would think I was good. Right. So, um, 
So by the time I was 13 or 14, I was doing uh, piano competitions in our church and like uh, um, went all the way to the state finals one year and blah, blah, blah. Um, so, you know, by that time I was pretty sure music was what I was going to end up doing. Um, and, uh, and then in high school I got into, you know, marching band and choir and, um, all that kind of stuff, uh, which I really enjoyed. Um, and then decided to be a music major, went to college at Western Michigan university. Um, as I went in as a composition major, but, uh, quickly realized that that was a kind of a modern classical composition major, not at all um, commercial music um, at the time. You know, I mean, this is, this is early nineties. So that, that didn't really exist yet. Um, and uh, so I switched over to piano performance and then got myself into the recording studio track there. Cause there wasn't a major at that point, of course. Um, but you know, got in the studio thing, learned about microphones, learned about, um, I mean, I, I actually had a little bit more background than most kids because, um, when I was a kid, my family, my mom and dad, my sister did like this, um, uh, music ministry kind of traveling thing where we'd go to the little churches. And so we had our little sound system that I knew how to plug in and run the microphones and, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and then, um, uh, had a piano teacher late in high school who, um, was actually in bands, like in pop bands and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And he had a Fender Rhodes, which I thought was the coolest thing ever. And, um, he had a, a Roland D 50. So, you know, the early digital synth. And, um, so he let me borrow those and play around and, um, uh, and he had a Mac plus. So the original Mac that you had to boot off of a floppy drive. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. With, I don't, I don't, I think this, it was the precursor to studio vision, um, was the software that he had that I learned to sequence on. And, um, and even, you know, by the end of my high school, um, I, I actually set mine and his gear up together, um, with his computer Did I have one by then. I think it was still his computer and my, I had a drum machine and, uh, um, a Roland piano. And, um, I actually wrote a bunch of songs and played and sang them for my high school friends in the community center auditorium. And, um, you know, so at that time I wanted to be Michael W. Smith. That was, that was my goal. Um, um, so Anyway, so well, that's okay. At- I wanted to be Stephen Curtis Chapman. Of, of so, course. Yeah. You know, and so that was the friendly rivalry. So you and yeah. I would have been friendly rivals if we had known each other. That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, actually, interestingly, I met Stephen Curtis Chapman. Uh, when would that, that, that would have been? It was maybe summer of my junior year, I went with this new piano teacher, this hip piano teacher to the Estes Park Music Festival. Okay. Yeah. And he, and he was there and just happened to run into him walking through the camp and got a picture with my arm around him and, uh, or his arm around me. I don't know. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah. And that was only his, I mean, he might've had one or two, maybe his second record was just out. Um, so it was, you know, he was still a young guy back then. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so college. Yeah. So my sophomore year of college, I, um, 
uh, got into the vocal jazz group. And this is one of the things that Western music, uh, Western Michigan is really known for is this really great vocal jazz program and this vocal jazz group called Gold Company. Now, I can't sing like that, um, but I was playing um, auxiliary keyboards that first year. And then my junior and senior year, I was playing piano. And I'm not a good jazz piano player, and I wasn't then either, um, but uh, good enough to, to, you know, play for this vocal jazz group. The cool thing about that was sitting in rehearsals, you know, week after week, listening to this vocal jazz arranging and the, the vocal stacking and the harmony and um, um, all that kind of stuff that would serve me very well as we got into the boy band era and the kinds of vocals that we were producing back in that day. So um, so that that served me very well, as well as, again, I was working in the recording studio track kind of um at Western. And, um, you know, I was one of the first guys to have a, a Mac synced via Simpty to the 24 track tape machine in the studio and, um, uh, all that kind of stuff that, that was a little bit beyond what, you know, he, the, the professor was teaching. And, right. um, even to the point between my junior and senior year, they installed a new console, um, big, you know, analog console, still at the time. And uh, the professor had me come in and figure out the automation system and then ran automation, you know, for like all of his recording sessions in that studio for my senior year. Nice. Uh, so again, really, really good experience for, um, you know, for a kid at that time. So sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that was college um, music major piano performance. Um, so during that time I had a buddy, um, who was a couple years older than me, who had gotten a job in Nashville. Actually, he became the um, Chicago office for Hummingbird Productions, okay. the jingle company in yep. Nashville. Yep. Um, and at the time, very successful and uh, doing big, big, big Coke and Pepsi and big red gum and, um, you know, big, big accounts. Um, and so... He got me an interview um, and then a job as the backroom tape dub boy. <laughs> yeah, so you got to start was, somewhere, right? Yeah. So I was the guy that would, uh, you know, take the, the, it was DATS, I think, at the time of the sessions out of the main room to the back room, um, dub them onto cassettes or whatever it was going to the client, um, and then walk them down to the FedEx down at the end of the, <laughs> at the, at, where was that the, uh, there was like the U8? No, I don't know. There was a fake, a, a tower looking building where the FedEx drop was not far from, from, okay. uh, from Hummingbird. Um, so that was great uh, experience early on to see a working studio and the caliber of players that were coming into that studio was just off the off the hook. I mean, the you know the Nashville studio players are incredible. Yeah, and so you know to kind of go from college where you feel like you're the the good one to this professional. Um, uh, environment where the the playing was just ridiculous um, was very eye opening for for me as a as a young guy and and very quickly made me realize oh I'm never going to be a session player there's like I cannot do that like there's there's no the way those guys would sight read or um, just uh, 
nail it on the first take is like, yeah, no, that's, that's not my gig. Um, (laughs) so I, um, uh, I guess one, one good story from the time, and this is only, I, I doubt I'd been there a year. Um, and so, a, uh, a jingle company is basically the sales force. So the guys that are the communicators with the ad agencies trying to get us gigs. Um, and then there's the production writers, uh, and production, production guys. So, um, basically the, 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 um, sales guys would get the gig, send out a brief to the um, writers. Everybody would break into their own, you know, studios and write their own demos. Then all those demos would come together and be sent to the client via the sales guy. Um, And then they would choose which one they liked. And then that writer would get to go produce the final in the main studio and, you know, hire the talent and be on the contracts and all that stuff. Okay. So, internally very competitive. Um, so, and I wasn't even, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't even on the, uh, writer category yet. I was far below that still. (laughs) So, but one day, um, uh, I think it was a Friday afternoon, uh, late in the day. And Tom, one of the, um, sales guys came running down the stairs trying to see who was around. And most people were gone. I was still in the back room doing who knows what. And he's like, Brian, uh, I just got this thing in from uh, our ad agency. It's for Anheuser Busch. Um, do you, can can we make something up here real quick? It's it's kind of a big deal. And I was like, I don't know, sure. Um, and so he's like, he pulls this fax off the fax machine and brings it back, and it's a picture of three frogs sitting on lily pads, um, just like a sketch. And underneath it says Budweiser. And I was like, so he's like, yeah. He said. The, the ad agency guy was like, yeah, I just need a soundtrack for this. I, I, I need these frogs to say Budweiser. And this is the, this is the idea that we got. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So, um, so I'm in the back room. So this is not in the main studio. This is in like an, an office. And all I've got back there um, is a re- recently purchased four channel um, sound tools system. So this is the precursor to Pro Tools. Okay. And um, I don't even have a mic pre. The only thing I could plug the microphone into is this um, uh, quarter inch tape machine that then I run the outputs into sound tools. And so we're plugged in a microphone into the tape through through there. And so... Uh, Tom is like, well, I'll just be Bud, and you want which which one do you want to be? And I was like, I, I don't know, I'll be Er. And so we record some Buds. He goes, Bud, Bud, <laughs> Bud, Bud, and then I go Er, 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 a bunch of different ways, all lining it into sound tools. And so then we start, you know, messing around with it. And then we're like, okay, so who are we gonna get for Wise? There's nobody else around. Right then, the back door opens, and Ronnie comes in the back door. Uh, he's looking for his hat or something that he left. Um, we're like, Ronnie, come here. We need a, we need a wise real quick. And so Ronnie does his thing. Wise, wise, wise a couple times. And so then, uh, so then I pull the CD off the shelf. That's got the, you know, sound effects with the crickets and all that stuff. And so lay that into one of the tracks and then, you know, it's Bud and Wise and Er on the other two, the other tracks and, um, start playing with the timing and, um, because of course I was Er, I had to make it so that Er sounds like the smart one, and so he's the one that actually gets it gets it right the first time, um, so that the frogs then can say Budweiser together. Right. Um, so obviously that uh, was the demo, 
and we sent that off to the ad agency. Um, and evidently the pitch that was the next day, this was one of hundreds that they, you know, were calling through for the new, the new idea. Um, this was the first ever time that Anheuser-Busch was thinking about a comedy, you know, not a serious um, spot for mainline Budweiser. I mean, Bud Light's always funny, but Budweiser was always very serious, the Clydesdales and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so uh, evidently Augie Bush got our cassette and put it in his coat pocket and anyone he could get to play, he could play it for would around the age, you know, his place, he would, he would play for them. Like this is going to be the Super Bowl spot. And so, well, again, this is the demo that we made in my back room. So the, the next step is always, um, okay, now let's hire the talent and do the real session for it. And so um, we did. We got all these cassettes from across the country, LA talent, all over the place. Um, famous people you've heard of going, this is so-and-so auditioning as Bud. Bud, Bud, Bud. And that was it. <laughs> <laughs> and so here we are trying to like, okay, you know, I, I don't remember, but people like this is Morgan Freeman as Bud, <laughs> you know what I mean? And right. so, um, uh, so we did, we chose a set at one point and, and recreated it, um, sent it off and kept getting back, you know, nah, it doesn't have the, doesn't have the magic of that first one. And so our voice ended up staying on through the entire process, um, and ended up being that Super Bowl commercial. And, uh, we won a Clio for it. And, um, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, congratulations yeah. on that. Uh, many years removed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, well, deserved. <laughs> it, well, it was, it was one of those, um, uh, winning the lottery by being at the right place at the right, right. time. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm curious when you did that and you, you guys were making like the final version of it and put trying to get all these other people put on there. Did, did you end up making a new track and re-recording you guys? doing that or did you just use the original demo for the whole thing was the whole thing the original demo or was your voices from the original demo added to new crickets in the background and things like that or yeah no it was it was it was all the original demo until the point where well even to the point where um so they were they were shooting the frogs the the animatronic frogs and so typically you know audio is adjusted to hit the video right and um uh, for, for whatever reason, they made the, the Sam Winston, the guy that did the, the, uh, dinosaurs for Jurassic, for the original Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. um, made him cut his frogs to my audio. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. But part of that was because, I mean, this was very early on in sound tools days. I didn't know how to back it up. I didn't know how to like, how do I save this so that we can pull those samples back out? And so, uh, I don't think it was for the very for the first pot, but there were spots after it where they wanted to reuse those samples, and I didn't have them. I didn't have them separated, so I actually we came back in and tried to recreate the exact samples again by saying them exactly the same way again. Mm-hmm. Um, and took it, hours and hours. Oh no, you can't do it. Yeah, it just never. Well, and I had pitched them. I think I pitched Bud down a little and Wise up a little bit or something like that. Um, and so it's it was like this whole process of trying to um, kind of recreate magic that it's impossible. So yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool. I mean, yeah, I yeah. remember those commercials and and if people are for not, not familiar with it, uh, go on YouTube. I'm sure you can you can find it and yeah, 
And you're you're the er, huh? I'm er, yeah. <laughs> yep. That's awesome. Yep. Well, that's that, super cool. That er uh, helped us uh, put together the down payment for our first house in wow. LA. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So after that happened, um, how long were you in Nashville for? We were there for about three years. Um okay without getting into the long sorted tale, um, a group from Hummingbird uh, wanted to do something a little different than the owner at the time wanted to do. And so we kind of broke ourselves off um, and started a new jingle company at the time. And then that uh, kind of split itself (laughs) um, because a group of us wanted to do songwriting and production and another group wanted to really stay focused in Nashville on um, on ads. And so the gang that wanted to do, um, songwriting and production, uh, moved to LA and, um, kind of set up shop there as a, as a, it was two of us. It was actually the guy that, uh, got me the gig at Hummingbird initially, the guy that went to college in the same Mm -hmm. place. He and I were the producers. And then one of the, um, kind of business guys, um, went with us to LA and, so you made that transition from doing ads into more of just of standard production songs and things like that. Um, when you get out to LA, how, I think people ask me this, I feel like quite a bit is, you know, how long does it take to get into something, to get involved, to get sort of, you know, settled into a job or a career in this business? You know, it's like when you, people will say, when you come to Nashville, you know, it's at least five years before something, you know, five to 10 years is kind of what people say before things start to take off, you know, in your career. And, um, for most people, that's true. I know some people that have had success as soon as they got here pretty early on. And then some people never really got anywhere. And so they gave up and left and went back to where they were from, whatever. So when you get to LA and LA is even big, you know, way bigger than we are here in Nashville. Um, I feel like it's probably way more competitive. So how quickly are you able to, to start getting work doing production stuff in LA? So it worked out all right for us pretty fast because, um, Smitty, my partner at the time had a, uh, connection to a girl from near where he grew up, up in the Pacific Northwest, um, that they had connected somehow. And she was a real talented, um, vocalist and was learning to write. Um, and this was in the, the era of Britney Spears and, um, uh, and the whole Latin crossover was happening with, um, uh, Ricky Martin, Ricky Martin. Thank you. (laughs) And, uh, late nineties. Yep. And she could sing in Spanish and, um, um, and she could do like, she had the whistle tone thing that Mariah can do. And, Um, so really good, talented, young, and I think she was 16 or 17 at the time. And, um, and so we, uh, kind of got into LA and with her made the enough connections that, um, uh, we got signed to Sony ATV publishing based on the stuff that we were doing with her, um, and, uh, you know, connections to Atlantic records where she was signed for her first record. Um, so, so you know, I mean, was she already signed whenever you met I her? I don't think so. I think I think we had been working with her a little bit before she got her deals, but um it wasn't long before. And how fa- how did you how did you get connected with her? Uh Smitty knew her somehow. He knew her. Okay. I, yeah, from from 
okay where he grew up or yeah, yeah. Uh, something yeah i'm just i'm curious because um i think people listening want to know okay when i moved to the music uh, this music city and i'm trying to get a record deal or i'm trying to get a production deal you know or a songwriting publishing deal that kind of thing like like you guys did with her with sony atv you know um people always want to know well how did you do that how did you get in to sony atv to to give them your music and then them give you a publishing deal so the question would be okay you guys were working with this artist producing some stuff as an indie basically at this at this point um how are you able to get your foot in the door at Sony to pitch them this artist in, in your music. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I remembered the okay. answer to That's that question. Yeah. I, um, I think it was a lot more of Smitty's connection. Okay. Uh, I don't know if he had made the connection to the A&R guy before, um, or if it was really about Angela who, um, was on their radar already and then okay. saw that we were having success working with her, um, writing with her. Uh, and then that, be, I, I mean, I think partly we were signed because they were projecting her to be the next Britney Spears. So they wanted to have the producer, you know, the writers and producers on their label. So, yeah. um, uh, that, that's my guess. So, but sure. anyway, so that, I mean, that connection for us, at Sony uh, opened some doors to other writers and other, um, you know, uh, well, I mean, we had a, we had a song requirement for the year that we had to meet as, as, you know, Sony writers. So, um, so they were setting us up with different co-writers and um, wrote some songs with uh, Gary Barlow from take that, um, which was amazing. Um and various, you know, little connections. I think we worked with Fergie before she was who she <laughs> became okay, and, yeah. and stuff like that. So, so that, that was, that was a cool time in that era. The, the downside was Angela didn't go the way she, they thought she would. Um, and we don't really know, ever know why the, yeah. the story we, we were told was that, you know, it was a week out from her first single, uh, that, I think it was one that I had produced or mixed or remixed or something like that was supposed to drop to radio. Uh, and they decided to pull her marketing slot and give it to Willa Ford who nobody remembers anymore. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, like the, the name is familiar, but that's about yeah, it. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, and then Angela's basically done. I mean, this, this was million dollar deals for her. Yeah. that you know and 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 this is not this doesn't exist anymore on on the record label world you know they basically signed her as a um development deal um because she was you know young and didn't have songs and didn't have following and any of that stuff that now you know there's no reason to be on a label until you have all that in place mm -hmm. so um yeah that's pretty it's pretty yeah so we didn't know we didn't really know what happened and um, you know, without having that kind of record go for us, we were kind of back at square one. We were mm -hmm. whatever now, three years into our time in LA and, you know, out of money and <laughs> out of, um, whatever. And it was, it wasn't, it wasn't good. It wasn't a good time. So, um, 
So let me ask you this when, um, and you don't have to give specifics, but when, when you're writing for a publishing company like Sony ATV, which is a major publishing company for those who don't know, um, you know, nowadays when you get a publishing deal, you know, you're what you get up front, you know, they give you a, a stipend or whatever, however you want to call it to live off of, you know, during that time while you're writing songs, hoping that it's going to get, you know, get picked up and recorded. Nowadays, um, you know, the stipends aren't that, that great back, back in the eighties and nineties, it's, you know, it's like, it was huge money that they would, you would get as a writer to do that kind of stuff. So, um, can you talk a little bit about what that looks like when you're writing for a company of that, of that size? Yeah. Again, I don't, I don't remember that again. Cause we had a, we had a business guy that was kind of shielding us as the writer producers okay. from all that stuff. So, yeah. um, we were basically on salary from our own company. Right. Um, so where that money came from to pay those salaries. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, we were making money on the production, um, and spending a lot, man, the hiring, uh, A-list mixers and stuff at that time was nutty. I mean, I think this is, you know, 98, 99, somewhere in there, we hired Dave Pensato, who is, you know, still one of the, the biggest mixer guys. And I think, I think he was five grand for the song plus two for the, uh, studio for the day, two grand for the day. And, uh, and I think he was getting a point or something like that. It was just insane what the mixers were getting in late nineties. Yeah. Yeah. Different world than it was, than it is now for sure. Right. Okay. Okay. So can you, can you talk a little bit about the difference? What, what's the difference in that world from back then compared to what it is nowadays from your, with your experience? Well, I, I mean, just the budgets and the, and the, uh, the process was a whole different thing. I mean, um, you know, they wanted, they wanted us to recut the whole record with her singing it in Spanish. And so to do that, they flew us to New York, put us up and hired the studio and a translator. And then we sat and re, cut the record in New York. And I don't know why, like, why not, you know, do it in our studio and like Mm -hmm. just the way money was spent was a whole lot different than it's looked at now where, especially, you know, uh, like we all have our own studios now and, and everybody can buy a hundred dollar interface and a hundred dollar microphone and get pretty dang close to what you can do in a $2,000 a day studio, um, depending on what you're doing. Yeah, that's so you know that's weird how how much things have changed over the years, how much money has changed, and how things are done. It's a completely different world that we live in. That we you know most of us and most of the people that I think probably listen to the podcast don't even can't even grasp the way things were done. You know, up just around to the year two thousand. You know, because that's when everything kind of really changed. Was yep. right at two thousand, everything went from analog to digital and. Uh, you know, iTunes came out and all that Napster and all that kind of stuff came out and kind of changed everything. So in the past 20, 22 years uh, or 20 plus years, um, you know, it's just so completely different. And I know some people who got to live both of those worlds to some degree, and you're one of those people who you got to live a little bit of one way and now mostly in another. So, um, 
so you, I mean, so you're working in, um, you've done ads, you have working on uh, songwriting, you know, major publishing, you're producing major label artists and working with, now you're working with, you've worked in TV now. So you do a lot in the sync world nowadays. Um, and that's how, <laughs> you know, you met Rhea basically, right? Yep. Um, Stevens. And so working with her and so let's talk about the sync world a little bit. Cause, uh, cause we both work in, in that world and, um, and you've done, you've been very successful in that world. So let's, let's talk about how that world works for you. Like how have you been able to be successful in that world and make the connections and kind of get your foot in the door to be able to do the different things that you've done, um, in, in sync. So, uh, <laughs> it's funny to hear you say it like that. Cause that's not how it feels to me. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. It never <laughs> feels always, that way. Yeah. yeah it, it's always, that's always how it is. I know for everybody, but, um, so, uh, okay. First of all, how does that feel when I say it that way? How does that feel to you? Like you think I'm way more successful than I am. Exactly. <laughs> and I, and I, I understand that feeling completely because people say the same thing to me. I'm like, yeah. not really. <laughs> yeah. So um, when you look at my website, I have a huge list of credits. And so most of those credits are from library stuff that's been placed. And yeah. I got my foot in the door with that kind of stuff not long after we just left, left off the story with Sony ATV. Okay. So basically when... Um, when the music industry cr crashed around Napster, um, uh, you know, so did it, it did for us as well. And we, we weren't making enough money. And so we broke up our company and, you know, I'd, uh, I'd started working with the local independent artists. Um, I'd been a, uh, church music guy for a long time and had some connections there and was doing worship records for people. And, um, so I, I was starting kind of to do my own independent thing apart from this, this company that we had for a while. And, um, and at the same time I'd met, I think it was even through somebody at our church in LA at the time, whose, whose partner was, a um, had a sync, not uh, had a music library that they were building and things like that. And so, um, I sent them some stuff. He loved it and started getting it placed. And so, um, so a lot of, a lot of my, what makes it, makes it look like I've been successful is that is a lot of that stuff yeah, that's just continued too. over the years. And, yeah. and it's, you know, I love my BMI quarterly checks from that stuff. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, and I, you know, I, over the years I'm slowly adding to that, but, um, it was sort of that first group of stuff that still, still keeps, you know, still keeps showing up. So, yeah. um, and I'm the same way. I, you know, yeah. I do a lot of the library stuff as well. And, have been, you know, quote unquote successful in, in that world because you, it just keeps getting used over and over and over. And that's right. that snowball effect that we talk about a lot. And, um, you know, I think people that are listening that may not give that world a whole lot of thought should really think about that world, you know, um, because it, there's a lot that you can do there and it really opens up. It really changed my way of thinking as a, as a musician and as a composer and a creator. Sure. Because I was stretched to create things that I would never on my own as an artist ever consider, you know, recording. Um, right. And then all of a sudden they're like, we need Irish pirate hip hop. And right. I'm like, okay, what does that sound like? And right. I had to yeah. figure it out, you know, and, and do that. So, 
Well, and I will say, you know, I always love still to this day working to a brief, hopefully with a really short turnaround because there aren't, there aren't that many people that can do what I do as fast as I can do it. I feel right. like, yeah. um, so, and I learned that from doing ads back way back in the day, because the deadline is always tomorrow or tonight at 9 PM when the FedEx cutoff is. And, um, and the, and you're always doing a different genre. Like you're always, you, you know, Coke doesn't want what they did last year. So you have to write something in the, the newest, latest thing. Or if you're doing Fruit Loops, you're doing this quirky comedy orchestra score. Um, and if, you know, so it's it's always something different. And so moving kind of out of that into um, uh, thinking about library music, it was very much the same thing. Like, you know, I can do all these kinds of things. What would be most useful and what's going to get placed? And um, um and and now you know when I get a brief from a sync agent or something like that, I I always want to jump on them, um, unless they're really far outside of my comfort zone because then I know I can't do it as fast. But um, but yeah, the the uh, writing to something specific that I know they want, <laughs> right. as opposed to just writing things that I come up with and send them out, and you never know what happens to them. But do you find that you get more success when it's the specific? brief as opposed to just kind of writing whatever you want, like pitching, writing whatever comes to your mind and pitching that, you know, or sending it off to a sync agent or whatever. Do you, do you have more success on that tight turnaround as opposed to the freedom to create? No, (laughs) I don't don't think so. I I mean, um, you know, I, I consider myself a noob still at the song placement sync game. Um, And so, you know, I, I've been probably at that for a year and a half or two years. And like you said earlier, it's a five year, you know, ramp to start getting traction. So, um, uh, the, the few things that have gotten close, um, haven't necessarily been written to briefs. Um, but I feel like my stock in the mind of the sync agent, the person I'm writing for, um, increases every time I nail a brief that they sent me, whether or not it, get, it goes through or not, it doesn't matter. So um, at least that's what I'm telling myself. <laughs> right. But they see that they see what you're doing is what they're asking for, even though it doesn't, exactly. it may not get placed. So they're going exactly. to come, come to you more often because they right. see that, that you're fulfilling their goal. Basically. That's my thinking. Yeah. yeah. And I, I agree with that. I think that's yeah. true. Um, well, it's nice to talk to somebody else, someone else who actually as a writer for library music like myself, because um, I do so much in in the sync side of things. I always tell people, I, I, I look at it as two sides of the same coin. You have the sync side of music, and then the flip side of the coin is the library side of the music, the instrumental, yep. you know, briefs and things like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and I've definitely had more success so far on the library side than the sync side. And um, it's just, it's a different way of thinking for sure. Um, so it's nice to talk to someone who, who's having success in the library side of things. So let me ask you this. Um, how many libraries do you write for currently? Not, not currently. I don't all that much. Uh, like I said, I'm trying to head towards the song sync side okay. a little bit more and trailers. Yeah. I'd really like to get into, um, yeah, yeah. trailer score kind of stuff. Um, but that's a 
that's a small, narrow little window that's yeah. lots of people would love to be in. So I don't know if I'm going get, to get anywhere there, but um, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy creating that kind of music. So I, that's why I'm trying to do things that I really want to do as opposed to just spamming everything I can. Right. Um, so that said, um, I think I've got stuff in, I don't know, five or six libraries, something like that. Okay. Not, not a ton. Um, uh, I feel like when, when I'm writing for, I got some libraries that will send me stuff like just all the time for a period and then it stops and then it'll come back and there'll be, you know, and then I'll, they'll hit me with a bunch of things and then it stops again. Um, that I'm getting specific briefs for now you can all, they, they always say, Hey, you can pitch, you can send stuff in and, and see if we want it as much as you want. But I usually wait until, uh, I just got so, so many other things going on that I usually wait yeah. until they say, Hey, we, we need this. Um, so do you, do you find that kind of being the case with the libraries that you write for? Um, lately I've been seeing briefs for one that I, uh, that I write, I have written for, um, that I'm ignoring <laughs> because I've got a lot going on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that happens. And, and now that you say that there was a pretty big gap that I wasn't getting anything from them and now they're back. So, mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, there's a whole other side of my career that we haven't even talked about. I I've worked for a, um, uh, children's curriculum, preschool curriculum company for, uh, 15 years. Okay. Um, uh, but that's a whole side thing. So, you know, as I'm sure you've talked about many times, uh, the key to making a living is doing enough things to make a living right. <laughs> and it's, it's all, all kinds of things. Um, so you know, is I, that music? So, is the children's curriculum is that a music related thing? Or is yeah, that, yeah, absolutely. So, oh, well, let's talk about that then. Yeah, yeah. So, um, my sister um, owns a preschool curriculum company, um, and um, one of the things that she wanted to do to set hers apart from the, her competitors was a big focus on the music. So, um, so we've written a. Uh, I mean, when we started, it was always a CD um, of 12 to 15 songs that go in the monthly um, uh, curriculum materials box that she sells. Um, and those songs are tied into that curriculum. So whether it's, you know, row, row, row your boat um, for the month's water theme or whatever, like everything is tied in very carefully. Um, so I've written and produced those 12 to 15 songs every single month for about the last 15 years. Um, and, uh, cool. yeah. So, I mean, we're approaching 2000 songs or something like that. And, um, uh, and, and recently over the last year, her company was actually, uh, bought out by a tech company called bright wheel who makes the software, um, front and back end for, preschools and daycares to, you know, do billing and check in and out and um, all that kind of stuff, but they've never had a curriculum component. So they wanted to buy less, my sister, Leslie's company um, to be, be that uh, um, component. And so now I work for Brightwheel, um, still doing this exactly the same thing, um, but have really nice benefits and, <laughs> um, that's cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so like, so, so because, because they bought the company is, is that what, 
is that what allowed you to start getting benefits or did you already have them beforehand? I did. They were um, not nearly as good as okay. uh, Brightwheel is a big company. I think they're 500 people or something like that oh, across okay. the country. So yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so that was big. I mean, you know, for a guy that works for himself, more or less, um, having health uh, benefits uh, is humongous, especially you know the age I'm getting to be. Sure. <laughs> so, so, uh, um, so that's really interesting, uh, yeah. and I love that because one of the one of the things that I try to make unique, hopefully, about this podcast is letting people know that there are multiple ways to make a living in music. It's not always about being a famous artist or a famous songwriter, producer, or whatever. Um, there are lots of ways to make a living and, and I talk about this all the time, but I, I, I do it's probably seven or eight things that I do on a consistent basis, r- music related that allow me to do it full time. It's not just one or the other kind of a thing. And exactly. part of me, yeah. part of me gets bored doing one, just one thing, you know, um, one or two things. And so I need to like, I'll spend all my time doing one thing and then I get burned out and then I move over to the next one and then I get burned out over the next one. And it kind of rotates around, you know, which, uh, is just, a good way for me to, to kind of work, I guess. But, yeah. um, but I love the fact that you're, you have found a, a real niche thing that's music related that allows you to make a living doing it. And now you get ben- and benefits on top of that is super cool. Yep. Um, and, and so, you know, letting people know that there are, there are ways to do this and make a living that are not necessarily what ways that you would think of. You know, there, there are all kinds of things that need to be accomplished for other people. And you've given someone a reason to be able to hire you full time to do something that only you can, only you can do for them really. Right. Um, so I don't know, let's talk, talk to me a little bit more about that. Like, what would you tell people that are like, I just, you know, I'm never going to be a huge artist. I'm never going to be a super successful songwriter and make, you know, millions of dollars and get all these awards, but I'm good at this one thing. And how do I, how do I find that other thing that I can attach it to, you know, and make my living in music doing that? Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, uh, it, it's always like everybody always says, it's, it's kind of who, you know, and it's yeah. making the right, it's happened to make the right connection in, in this case, my sister. <laughs> so pretty yeah. strong connection there. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, and I will say I like everyone else, uh, had enough of, had a big enough taste of the big time in LA to have to kind of work through the, the, um, the letting that go and, and, and stepping, Oh, making the conscious decision. Like we're leaving LA. Like if we're moving to Northern California, I'm really letting that dream die because this is not going to happen from Sacramento. So, um, uh, so there was part of that in there for me. And then once you're kind of over that and start to look at your life and how you want to live your life. And for, for us, it was about raising our kids in a nice place. And, um, you know, uh, there's just so much more to life than what your career is. And so, um, that was my choice. There's going to be more to my life than just my career. Um, so, uh, reconciling that in my head, 
and letting the dream go a little bit and then and then figuring out how to make a living still doing music full time um uh you know and that's where that's where like yeah fine i'll do a cd of simple kids music uh every single month and um yeah it's a grind a lot of months um uh and of course i've gotten faster and faster at it i mean you do it for 15 years you get pretty good um but uh i was working on it this morning and like um it's it's always there and always something to do and um yeah i i mean the the I don't know. I think it has a lot to do with who you are personally and how, um, what your uh, tolerance isn't really the right word, but what your, uh, um, definition of a successful career is, I guess maybe sure. that's the, the best yeah. way to think of it is like, you kind of have to decide what, what success looks like to you. Yep. And then, um, and then, you know, work towards the goal of, of being that. Uh, and, you know, I, I mean, and I, I certainly would say if some, I mean, I still often, if you'll, if we're on the ski lift together and you ask me what I do, I say, I'm a composer for film and TV and a record producer. It's yep. like, do I really compose for film and TV? Yeah. Like twice I did some movies and you know what I mean? Like, it's what I'd love to be doing for sure. So like, you know, that I still have the dream of bigger and, and more, uh, glamorous, I guess, um, projects and records or movies or whatever. Um, uh, but not holding my breath at this point, you yeah. know, uh, being, being content with, um, you know, trying to get some songs synced and, uh, writing smart library tracks and maybe get yeah. a film trailer at some point. So, well, I think it's great for people to hear your story because they get, you know, it's, it's usually either you're, you're on the, the big and famous side of things and that's your career and that's what you've been doing forever. Or it's the people that are making it, but just barely right. Struggling to, to survive, but doing it. And I always tell people the, the whole point of this podcast is, is you can make a living in the music industry. That's the, that's the name of the, the show. Right. Yeah. And you know, it's, if you can be successful, well, success is in my opinion, if you can pay your bills, support a family, if you have one and do what you are loving, enjoying to do, wanting to do, if you can do those three things, then you are being successful. Right. And so, and you and I are able to do that. And yeah. now granted, are there other goals that we want to accomplish within that industry? Of course. Right. There are bigger things that we would both like to be able to do, but we both, we've both tasted and have been a part of those, some of those bigger things for at least some point in our careers. And, um, so it's, so it's, I think it's really good for people to hear your story because they are getting to hear someone who has lived out that successful side of things on the bigger scale and now not and not say that what you're doing now because again we're both doing the same thing i don't think what we do is on a small scale um it's smaller than writing for sony atv sure right it's, you know, <laughs> then, or producing major label things i get that um but again you know we're getting to put music out on tv and or and or film type stuff and so uh and we get to make 
music that we enjoy and that we love. And so for people to hear that, they kind of, they get to see someone like you who's lived both sides of it and, you know, uh, are, are being successful and, in, and enjoying your career yeah, where, where you are. Right. Um, so I think that's really, really good. So I appreciate you sharing that. So for 15 years now, you've been doing that and, um, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. I love it. I love it. You get a, you got a niche, you got the, this one thing that's really your thing. And so I want, you know, I want people that listen to, uh, you know, figure out, okay, what, what can I do as a listener? What is it that I want? What is it that I'm good at? And how can I find ways to get my music and what I do into something that's real specific? Sure. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah. So, um, well, and I will say outside of the kids music, that's always been kind of a problem for me. Like, uh, I don't really have that niche cause I'm pretty good at a lot of them. So, right. um, you know, which can, which can not serve me well because, you know, I could probably be a lot better at any single one of them, mm. but the way my career is unfolded, I still, I just need to be good at a bunch of them to keep the bills. Exactly. Paid. And I'm the same so, way. I get that totally. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, lots of, lots of times I've, uh, um, sort of had a down season or whatever, and I'm, you know, struggling a little bit and trying to figure out, well, how can I ramp this up so that, uh, this doesn't happen again. And there's just never, there's never a good opportunity to say, okay, I'm dumping the kids music. I'm dumping the, the, the local artists that pay me by the hour. I'm dumping all this stuff so I can focus only on, whatever it happens to be at the time. And yeah. it just doesn't work that way. It's just never worked. I've never had that op kind of opportunity. Um, even, even back when I was making records, like I would constantly say like, man, it sure would be nice to have a big enough budget that we could work on this until it's done. Mm -hmm. Not in three weeks, it needs to be done. Right. <laughs> like just to have, and, and I've done that, you know, twice, I think had records that there was record label budget attached and no real deadline and, um, you know, go write the songs, produce the songs until we've got a good record. And, uh, man, what a luxury that was. And, yeah. you know, and then for the rest of my career, it's, it's, it hasn't been that way. And that, and that's fine. It's, it's made me a different kind of producer, a different kind of songwriter, a different kind of, um, uh, you know, a, approach to way, to the way I do everything I do. Yeah. Um, you know, even to the th things like I've always mixed most of my own stuff. Like there've been very few times when I don't mix or, um, and even nowadays I master like, uh, you know, yeah. and I, and I, and once in a while get calls only to master. Um, and, uh, you know, across the board, um, uh, it, it can be hard for people to differentiate what they're hiring me to do because I can do any number of the things in the process that they're trying to hire me for. So, um, you know, uh, for a while my website was a mess because I, it's just impossible to say, what do you need me to do for you? Sure. I can do that for you. Like you want me to help you write this song. Great. Um, you want me to produce it for you. Oh, you don't need me to produce, but you'd like me to play keys and, program drums and mix <laughs> or, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's just, it's just, uh, it can make it difficult for people to differentiate 
that thing you were just saying, like be be one thing, be it the best you possibly can. It's like, well, well, for me, yeah, I know that's I know that's true out there, yeah. but um, well, I, I mean, I'm with you because I'm you and I are very very similar. And, interesting, yeah. Um, you know, I have to do I pretty much do all of those things myself. Yeah. You know, because I can't I can't afford to pay exactly. someone. I can't afford to pay someone to, to mix. Right, you know every song that I do, or to master every song that I do, or to pay musicians for every on every song, you know, because, um, you know, I would be I would be broke. Totally. You know, there's yeah. <laughs> there's not yeah. not enough not enough things land uh, on a consistent enough basis for those things right. to to happen. So I've had to teach myself how to do those other things, and I and I love it. And I'm trying, you know, I keep working to get better and better and better at those things. Um, and I enjoy doing them all, but there are times where it's like, man, I just, you feel like you never get ahead because you just constantly have to do it all yourself. And so you yep. can't move on to the next thing, but have someone else kind of work, finishing it up for you. Right. Some things, sometimes there are, I love that. I love being able to mix and to master and to produce and play all of my, all of my own stuff. Um, and sometimes it's too much, you know? And so I get that. Um, but. I also tell people all the time that, that listen, that I think it's important to know is that I always say that it, the more that you can do yourself, the more work that you can get because, yeah. you know, because some, you can always provide something that someone needs, you know, yeah. it's like, if the only thing you know how to do is mix and that's all you know how to do, right. you're then, then you're limited on, on the work that you're going to get. Right. Right. Um, so I think it's sometimes it's a catch 22. <laughs> Right. Well, you know, I don't know what made me think of this as you're saying that, but that, that for me has been true all the way back to college. So like, yeah. you know, when, when, when people understand, uh, when new clients realize that I understand music theory and can, can talk to them in classical terms if necessary, like, you know, and to, and to have a breadth of musical knowledge that, that mixer that you're just talking about doesn't have because he's a, he's a, he's a tech guy that knows how to, you know, manipulate the audio, but couldn't tell you the first thing about the baseline and the chord changes and the, all that, all that kind of stuff. It's, um, you know, I think there's, uh, uh, breadth of knowledge is valuable for guys like us that are, it's necessary to do a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. Um, if you don't, uh, if you can't have the luxury of, um, focusing on that one single thing or, or for that matter, you, you know, personality wise, I'm similar again, <laughs> like I would get bored. I, I, I mean, I'm glad my career has been a lot of different things over, uh, over the time. I, you know, when I, um, I've, I've done, it's, it's basically custom libraries for individual shows. Yeah. So we, I've done some Netflix shows like this where, yeah. you know, we're basically writing a whole library for that one show for them to pull from and just edit like they would, you know, normally. Um, so that's cool. And by the end of, and by the end of those shows, I'm so burnt out on whatever the, you know, I've just done 130 cues for that are all like in this exact same, um, creative box. And I'm like, right. Ugh, I never want to do, you know, <laughs> um, whatever, whatever it happens okay. to be again. So. so let's, um, let's talk about that for a minute. So you've written music for Netflix, uh, for shows for Netflix and different things like that. Um, as, as an indie producer, 
and writer and everything that you are. How did you get connected with Netflix to be able to write music for them? And how did they, you know, how did they say, oh, okay, Brian Steckler, we want you to be the person that's going to do this. <laughs> so funny. It's again, it's who you happen to know. So, um, back to my partner that I met in college, yep. <laughs> one of his partners after we split up our company was a guy in LA who had, uh, who was do they were doing jingles together after, you know, after I was out of that scene. Yeah. Um, and then their company split up and then this other, the, Sean, the, the guy that Smitty was working with, um, developed a relationship with a television producer who ended up, I think he invented Biggest Loser okay. or something yep. like that, yep. and then um, starts producing all these shows. Sean and he are good enough friends that they decide to start basically a music uh, company, a music library that will feed this guy's shows. Um, specifically for this one guy with this one guy. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And so then, um, Sean is then putting out the call for, uh, composers to feed his library. And I managed to through Smitty and through another friend that we both friends, you know, basically had breakfast with him and talked through it. And then, um, and then on the first show, I sort of, proved that I could do this real fast for him and create okay. all these cues really fast. And, um, and so then after the first one or two, I kind of became, I think one of his main feeder guys. And then, and then even a couple times, um, I did a whole show myself because it was a smaller budget or something like that. And it just wasn't worth trying to get everybody trying to do it. So, um, yeah, so, so, who you know <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean yeah it's relationships yeah. and networking like we yeah. talked about well earlier. and and it's who you know assuming you can do the work right. so you have to everybody assumes you can actually do the work because if right. you don't if you can't pull the work off then that matter. connection doesn't doesn't go anywhere right so um because it was a perfect niche for me um you know it was a style of music that i could do fast and um, it's like the, a lot of it that got me into it was this big orchestral hybrid electronic kind of stuff that, that generally takes a really long time, um, just cause it's complicated and there's a lot of, a lot of moving pieces to it. And I figured out how to build my template and how to like, you know, make, make my setup work really well for this particular thing we were doing and mm -hmm. got to where I could churn out these big epic cues three a day <laughs> and okay was i was going to ask you about how yeah. many you know how long it takes you to, to create one of these at uh, so on so fast yeah um, but but i mean that's in the middle of that production where that's all i'm doing right so when i'm coming back to that or if i'm starting a new trailer queue or something like that um you know that kind of big epic orchestral hybrid stuff it's probably closer to a day and a half um to do a full queue um, to well, do one one cue one cue yeah okay. yeah that, see that makes yeah. me feel feel good <laughs> yeah 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 that makes me yeah. feel better because i feel yeah. like when i do those types of things that um i should be getting them done faster than i am sometimes and i feel like i go pretty quick you know but then you get hung up on trying to get certain sounds and different you know patches and whatever right. and it's like man you know uh you know some of these some of these dolls and and keyboards or whatever you know, have these sounds that there's a thousand sounds that you'll never use and only three that you actually need and you can't ever find them because they're buried in 
right. to, to a thousand different sounds. Well, um, yeah. And that's where, when I'm in the midst of a production like that, where I'm doing a hundred of these, like, um, you know, when I find that sound, it's in the template. <laughs> right. So then the next time I come to that thing where I need that sound, it's already there. And my, now my blank template isn't blank. You know, it's, it's, I've got, uh, I don't know, 15 cymbal swells that sit there locked to a downbeat ready to go that I can just drag over unmute and they're ready to go. So like that kind of stuff for, for speed is, is what it's a hundred percent about for that gotcha. kind of writing. Now, yeah. you know, I've been getting myself into the trailer composer guy world a little bit and you, you hear from some of the top guys that are writing for audio machine and the, the really big trailer houses. And they're talking about one to three days to find their hooks and then a week to produce the track and then they go get live strings and then they, you know what I mean? So like those guys aren't churning out a level film trailers one a day they're well, taking. That's interesting that you say yeah. that because I've had the guys from Ghost Rider on the podcast. Oh, cool. And <clears throat> which that's what they're known for. They're trailer music guys. Yeah. That's what, that's what they do for a living. And, and our conversation is they have to knock out uh, within a couple of hours, a full trailer. Yeah. The uh, opposite. So it's the opposite of that. Sure. It's good. It's good to hear that. Yeah. It depends on who it is that you can, it does. You, yeah. you can have the leeway, but you're not always going to get it. Um, maybe you know. it's the, those custom houses where maybe that those guys are getting those short turnarounds. Um, I think the guys that I've been reading are more library, like, like audio machine where they're actually writing full cues and then putting them in their library and trying to pitch them then well, out yeah. to trailers. I mean, they, yeah. th these guys do that as well, but okay. then when, but then, you know, production movie production company reaches out to them and says, Hey, yes. we need a trailer for this and we need it in two hours. Right. You know, again, yeah. they've got their templates, you know, the guys that write for them, they got their templates made up. Yeah. They send them, Hey, here's the brief. We need it in two hours. Guy knocks it out and he's got those things pre-made to some degree, yeah. but then they've also got some of those cues. They got a whole library of cues that they've already created that also will get used as well. And so right. it's kind of, I guess the best of both worlds for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. So I'd love to do that kind of stuff. I, I, I really enjoy that kind of short turnaround and yeah. um, we don't have much time and yeah. That's good. fun. It's fun to, fun, fun to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, this has been awesome, man. I appreciate appreciate you letting me talk with you and just sharing your story and kind of all this information. It's, it's nice to to talk with someone who's kind of on the the same same level as of in interests and kind of doing the same things. Because um, a lot of times when you're writing, when you meet people that do this, it's like, okay, well, I'm good at this genre of of library music or whatever it is, you know. And then I can do two or three things well. And then you meet someone. Uh, well, I'm good at these three things over here and it never really kind of overlaps necessarily. So yeah. <laughs> I feel like our stuff would overlap really, really well. So probably. it's cool, to, yeah, it's cool to talk to someone who, who does that uh, similar types of things. So that's cool. Um, well, as we wrap up, I mean, I mean, we could probably just talk for, for hours and, yeah. stuff. I mean, and I would love to, um, but I know you got lots of things that you need to get back, back to. So I won't, I'll let you do it. But as we wrap it up here, um, what's some advice that you would give people listening that want to do what you have done over your career, whether they want to be a composer or a, a writer or a ranger, or if they want to do, let me actually, before we do that, let me ask you this. I, I meant to ask you this earlier. Um, 
would you, so you did ads early in your career and you got out of it because you were saying, okay, well, I left, I left LA and went up to Northern California. So you kind of had to let part of that dream die, right. And kind of recreate yourself. And for, for people listening, I said, I understand what that, what that is. I've, I've kicked that around in my head many times over the years thinking, oh man, this is just too hard. I'm going to quit and go, go back somewhere else and do something different. But I, you know, I'm like, I'm going to be the guy left at the end of the whole thing because I'm never going to give up. Right. I'm going to, it just means too much to me. This is what I've, this is what I love to do. And so I'm going to always fight for doing it. Um, but I understand that having to let certain things go to do something different. Right. Um, but that being said, because you're writing music for sync now and you are getting music on TV shows on Netflix and, and does some movie things and whatever, um, like that's a big deal for people listening that are not familiar with that yet. Um, and you don't have to be in LA or New York or Nashville or Miami, wherever to do those things. You can do that from anywhere in the country. If you're good enough at what they are needing done, you can do that from anywhere. So, you know, you can, you are still being successful at that. Um, I mean, I think, you know, Hey, you're writing music for Netflix series. That's super successful. That's a big deal. You know, um, it may not seem like it to you, but that's a big deal to the vast majority of people listening to this right now. And, uh, and that's a big deal to me. You know, those are still things that some things that I want to accomplish that I haven't necessarily accomplished yet to on certain networks, you know, and, you know, and I've had ABC and Fox sports and things like that, which is fantastic. I'm super, uh, I'm not negating any of those things, but you know, you're, you're always looking for more. You're always looking for the next thing that you haven't accomplished yet. Right. We're all doing it for sure. Yeah. Um, but you are being successful at that. And so people listening, thinking, well, I'll never, I'll never get to LA or Nashville or what, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Hang on. Mark that, <clears throat> Sorry. Mark that time code. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll never be, <clears throat> excuse me. Sorry. <clears throat> Thinking I'll never be successful uh, enough to be able to do those things. Then so I got coffee. I'm not crying. It sounds like I'm like all worked out. <laughs> I'm never, it's uh, not that bad. It's not that bad. It's okay. I got, I got choked. I got stuck in my throat there and now I feel like I'm like breaking down here for the world here, for everyone here. So, um, but you know, we can all be successful in doing those types of things. And, um, so that being said, you did ads early on in your career would you go back to, because that's good money. And if you can do ads, that's really, really good money doing that. And, um, have you considered doing ads again? Oh, sure. I I mean, if, if that relationship showed up, that was, uh, you know, somebody that wanted me to work on ads, I would in in a heartbeat. Yeah. I mean, but would you ever like, but would you, I mean, most of us have to go pursue those things. We have to go try to get an ad agency to bring or a sync agent to bring us on to that, you know, and, and we have sync agents that, um, yeah, you know, that do some of those things for us. But, you know, sometimes I go, I, I go looking for the ad agency themselves and reach out to whoever that person is, their supervisor, that's going to be in sure. charge of those things. Um, like, is that enough of a thing for you to be like, okay, I'm going to go pursue that, or I'm just going to wait and let it come to me if it happens to come to me. Yeah. I, I, I don't even know where I would begin to, yeah. to do that these days. Sure. Um, 
and I feel like uh, the sync and trailer angle is more interesting to me right at the moment. I see. Um, that uh, makes sense. But, but like I said, you know, if if one of our sync agents was like, um, hey, there's this ad that they want some you know, something specific for, would you consider writing this specific for this? Well, of or course. it's like, uh, sure. In a yeah. heartbeat. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well that, okay. So that was a huge long backup for all to get all that information in yeah. there, but thank you for, for doing that. So, um, so now as we wrap up here, yeah. what's, uh, what's some, some advice that you would give people that want to do the things that you've done in your career? Um, some do's, maybe some don'ts, you know, I would avoid these types of things, but you know, you definitely need to do this if you're going to, you know, be successful in sure. these things. Um, I, I mean, it's hard for me to say what you should do, but um, what what I felt was important for me was the music background. You know, like I said, I was a piano performance major. I took all the music theory. I took um, music history, which was really good, understanding um, Bach and Mozart and Beethoven and um, uh, how that all influenced gospel music and, uh, all the way up through, you know, that's, um, studied jazz and some of that stuff. And all of that has been, um, crucial in my, um, mindset as a, as a composer and songwriter, um, if nothing else, so, so that when, um, when I get a, a, a reference from a client that wants something kind of like this particular reference or kind of like this particular soundtrack or whatever it is, I've got the uh, broad enough background that I can listen to it and kind of understand what's making that work. Why, you know, why does this baseline with this groove feel like this? Or um, how delayed is that snare drum that's making it feel like this? Or th- those kinds of things that, I wouldn't know how to hear without the musical background that I've got. Um, so that, that to me has, has been real crucial. Um, I, I've never been a good schmoozer. Like I'm not a good networking guy. I, um, and I know my career has suffered because of that. So my advice is to align yourself with people that are good at the things that you aren't. Um, Mm. so, you know, for me, that's, uh, currently that's, that's when I'm, um, offering to co-write and produce. Um, so I I work with a lot of singer songwriters that can't produce, um, they can record them, their vocals, but they don't produce, they don't mix, they, whatever. So I, and I'm happy to work with them. Um, even sometimes on a 50, 50 deal, even though I'm clearly contributing more of the, the production side, um, as long as they're con- contributing some networking side, um, they've already got established sync agents or, you know, ties to, um, showrunners or whatever already. Um, uh, so I guess, you know, recognize your weaknesses and, uh, find people that can fill in the other side, uh, to some degree. And then, I don't know. Uh, it's it's a it's a long term numbers game, f- f- you know, for much of what my career has been. Mm-hmm. Like I said, fifteen years writing kids songs, two thousand songs. I mean, um, I never would have thought that that company could be bought out by a tech giant that uh, you know 
I stand to, I, I mean, they're talking about an IPO and it's going to go public and I've got shares and like, you know, uh, I never would I have thought 15 years ago writing my first, you know, CD of kids music um, that, the, that that could develop into something that could potentially pay for my retirement. Yeah. <laughs> so that's great, um, man. That's great. And, and, well, and, and, and even still in my mind, that's like, yeah, I do this little thing on the side for my sister's company. It's like, okay, wait a sec. <laughs> it's yeah. not really the, you know, time-wise it still is, but like, um, but you know, what it's going to mean to my family and, and my rest of my life and all that kind of yeah. stuff could be, could be huge. And, yeah. And it's great because know. that allows, that allows you to keep doing these other things that you love to do. Totally. Yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah. When it comes to retirement type stuff down the road a few years yeah. from now, like that's right. going to be, that's going to set you up to be able to continue all this other stuff that you sure. love doing for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And, awesome. and, and, you know, and that applies across everything we're talking about, the, the sync and library stuff, especially, I mean, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I work with newer songwriters, um, and that who feel like every song is so precious and, and, you know, we learn quick doing library music. It's, it's send it, forget it. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's, you're probably never going to hear anything about any of these songs ever again. And mm-hmm. you got to be fine with that. And, yep. Um, Unless it shows up on a statement that you got paid. Yeah, until it shows up on a statement and then it's the greatest thing you've ever done. And right. so, um, yeah, but yeah, the the churn the churn through kind of mentality is real important. Um, and at the same time, you got to be making quality stuff to have a chance to get placed. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a hundred percent in it while you're making it. And then as soon as you're done with it, let it go. Uh, let me ask you this real quick. Have you, have you ever found within the different libraries that you write for that the quality of music, like your, your music across the board of what you write and produce is going to be, you know, this basically the same, right? From say you got five songs, they're going to all sound production wise, you're going to sound similar. Okay. Let's say you did them all close. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, for right yeah. now, let's say you did five yeah. songs today. Right produced them, you know, your orchestral hybrid thing you were talking about earlier, and they're all going to have the same similar production quality to them. Right. Yep. And then let's say you sent those five songs to three different li- Now you can't, I know you can't, you know, when you sign to a library, it's exclusive to them, but let's just say you were, um, let's say you were trying to get into three new libraries and you pitched those yep. five songs to three new libraries just to get your foot in the door to get them to sign you. All right. Follow me. Yep. Um, have you ever found that the three different libraries have different production quality standards, you know, and you're getting one library that says, this is fantastic. I'll sign all five of them. You'll get another one that says, yeah, I like a couple of them, you know, but the other one could be a little bit better here, here. And yeah. then you got another one that says, ah, these aren't good enough for us production wise. Like they're produced well, but they sound old or whatever. Um, have you run into that? Um, not quite at, t- to that degree. Um, I, I do it to myself though. So when I, um, and we're starting in with a new library, I- I'm going to go listen to as much as I can off their site for a while until I get a real feel for what their quality level is. And then, um, so like recently I've been studying audio machine basically. And like, I'm not sure I know how to get to their level 
right at the moment. <laughs> you okay. know what I mean? So like, so like if I submitted to them, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't get through. Um, That's interesting. Be- because I don't think I'm there yet. As far but, as production quality? Yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's, um, I say it's interesting. I say it's interesting because you've produced like major label stuff. Yes. But, but it's, it's a different, every genre has got its thing. That's true. Trailer music really has its thing. Yep. And so like, um, yeah, I'm definitely in the neighborhood, but like the top tier, uh, trailer producers are, I mean, the, uh, like I can't write a, a film score like Dune, like Hans Zimmer. You know what I mean? Like right. I'm not in that category. Like sure. um, the same way that I'm not in uh, the songwriting category of Stephen Curtis Chapman or whoever. You know what I mean? Like yeah. um, that—that's uh, that's part of that realization of like, you know, I'm I'm good at a lot of things and can 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 be a producer for a lot of different people and can add a lot of value to the money that I'm being paid to do, um, whatever it is. But if, um, I'm not holding my breath that audio machine is going to reach out to me and say, Oh man, we really hear, I mean, we hear in your stuff, how good you are. And we're, yeah. we really want you on your label. That's not going to happen yet because I'm not there yet. So, um, Okay, so uh, let me ask you this: What would you tell people that are listening that want to do something similar to that? Like, there are people that want to write trailer music, yeah. we'll say, like you're wanting to do. What is it that? What would you tell yourself? Okay, I need to get better at this from where I am now to yeah. in order to make that happen. Oh, it's easy. I mean, it's it's tear those tracks apart. The tear, tear the parts, the things that you want to do. You have to understand what is making it work? Why is it as good as it is? And, you know, for trailer music, it's, it's the hook that starts at the beginning and develops all the way through. Um, and it's, um, uh, understanding how to mix that low end so that those big crashes don't get swallowed by the huge synth bass, or it's the, um, understanding the, the three act, um, you know, development that's required for those things. And then the, the thing that, and I can do all that. So I'm, in fact, I would put that out as one of my strengths as a producer is being able to take stuff apart and then write something in the neighborhood of what, whatever that is. Um, the thing that audio machine is doing is writing the next step beyond that they're going to want for next year's trailers. They don't want the stuff that is already out. Right. Cause it's already out. Like you've heard it and they're, they're figuring out what that next thing is. I mean, that's the same thing with Hans Zimmer. That's the same thing with all the guys at the top of the game is they're, they're pushing the boundary of what's been going on. Uh, I'm, I recognize that I'm really good at writing to a reference that you send me. I can, I can, I can replace um, a, a, tr- a song that you can't afford to license with right. something that works exactly the same way. Yep. Um, but I'm not breaking any new ground. I'm yeah. giving you exactly what you're asking for. Right. Um, and so not pushing to, the boundaries like Hans not pushing the boundaries. Are. Yeah, yeah, I got it. Yeah. And I don't think I'm ever going to be there. I, I don't think that necessarily precludes me from working in the trailer music world. No, because um, there's different, but, I mean, there are different 
things that you are needing to accomplish in trailer music. And you're talking exactly. about, you're talking about like the Marvel movies and the exactly. super, you know, uh, sci-fi Star, yeah. Star mm -hmm. Wars and Dune yeah. and these huge operatic orchestral yeah. epic things that, you know, that is a, that is a, a segment of trailer music, sure. but yeah. it's not everything, you know? Yeah. And I think that there are, Plenty it's the of, coolest though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is the coolest stuff. Um, but it's not, there are all genres of movies yeah. that need to have trailer music. And there are those other genres that you would be perfect for, you know, it's just because you haven't got it. You haven't hit the peak or the pinnacle in that one thing that you're wanting to do. Doesn't right. mean that you're, you haven't already reached it in these other ones. Right. You know, right. so. Right. Um, well, so, and back to your original question about the, the difference in production quality across the libraries and yeah. things, you know, I, um, I, for me, that's a time spent factor. So when I'm writing for a library that, uh, I feel like, um, doesn't require my absolute most detailed, most careful production, those are the ones that I can write three and four per day, you know, depending on the genre, if we're doing tension tracks or something like that, you know, that's, that's three or four or five per day cranking this, this kind of stuff out. Um, and yep, they still sound good. Yeah. They're still mixed well. Um, uh, but compared to, um, a song that I'm trying to produce to be synced or pitched or whatever, right. you know, that that's, um, that's kind of a different mentality, yep. um, um, and willingness to backpedal and take something out, try a different sound in here, um, scrap a harmony line, rewrite the entire chorus melody. I mean, those kinds of things that we'll do for a song that could, feels like it could work better, even though we're that same song for a pitch that's due at 5 p.m., that initial melody is perfect. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, it's like, um, and that's again, back to the ads thing. That was one of the things that I learned really early on is um, it's a, a, a real short burst of creativity right at the beginning. And then it's making that for initial idea sound good enough to get through to the, you know, through to the, to the um, ad agency. So like, you know, you don't have time to rework the a creative idea, the melody, the mm -hmm. lyric, the whatever. There's no time for that. So you have to be good at making whatever your first instinct was sound good and mm -hmm. and come across in your demos and in your and now there's no such thing as a demo. Like you yeah. have to you have to have full production to to present it. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can't you can't turn in a demo at all. That's, no, no, there's no such thing. Anymore. Anymore. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. They yeah. won't allow it. No. So yeah. Awesome. Well, man, Brian, thank you so much. This has been super cool. And I really appreciate you talking. Yeah, my pleasure. With me and my audience. And, um, yeah. and I look forward to hearing the new stuff that you put out. And when you finally do hit that trailer, <laughs> yeah, that, those trailers, I'm, I'm, yeah. I think you're going to do it. And I look forward uh, to, to. Yeah. for, for that and, uh, and hearing your stuff. So pe where can people check out, uh, if somebody wants to hire you, yeah. To produce or mix or write or whatever. Please um, do. How can people find you? Uh, my website is good, briansteckler.com. Okay. And um, when you get there, it's going to look like I'm a composer solely. And that's just because I haven't really changed my website in a while. Um, 
but uh, I, you know, currently I'm doing way more in songwriting and sync song production. Um, and in fact, I've been do, kind of combining those worlds and doing a lot of um, trailerizing of people's songs. So I'll get, you know, somebody has got a song that they want to sound like a film trailer. And so yeah. I'll take it apart, take the acapella or whatever, and, you know, turn it into that big epic, yeah. um, whatever. And that's super fun. I love doing that. Um, and that's something that's huge in trailer it's big right now. Yeah. In, in yeah. Uh, trailer music is doing yeah. that kind of thing. And yeah. I love, I love that kind of stuff as yeah, well. So yeah. we, so uh, I'm also Instagram and Facebook. Um, you can find me on there easily. At Brian yeah. Steckler. Yeah. Um, All those places. I, yeah, I think both of them, it's just Brian Steckler. Okay. Yeah. I'll make sure that stuff's in the show notes. Yeah. So people can, can check you out. So yeah, please um, do. man, I love it. I, I think we need to write together. I'm yeah, would, let's do it. I think it'd be fun. I think yeah. we could come up with some pretty cool stuff and i think we're Sweet. both writing for sweet on top aren't we with christina yep. you're connected uh-huh. with christina now yep through raya because raya writes yep. for for uh, sweet on top and i do as well so Sweet. um it's a small world you it know, is when, yeah and that's how for people listening like this how we all get connected you know one it's relationships and then yep. one person say hey meet this person meet this person and these things get built and um that's how yeah. we do it and that's how we do it that's right so awesome dude well cool. it's great meeting you and uh look forward to talking to you some more and uh thanks so much for your time yeah you bet thank you thanks for having me it was great yeah bye-bye all right guys there you have it i hope you had a great time listening to our conversation today i hope you take what we've talked about today and find ways to apply it to your career as well please be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on and please share it with all of your friends so that we can continue to get this message out to everyone around the world Remember, Edenbrook Productions is here to help if you need consulting services via phone, Skype, Zoom, or FaceTime. Let us know how we can help you begin to make a living in the music industry.